John Constantine, a Hellblazer podcast. and welcome back before we get into the episode just want to let you know that this is the free version of the podcast and all that means is that we are way behind where i'm at in patreon so if you are loving this podcast and you need more john constantine in your life definitely go check us out at patreon.com slash planes trains and comic books and sign up for the hellblazer tier where you'll get access to the entire hellblazer library that i've recorded so far and also you get access to the exclusive episodes of the planes trains and comic books main podcast so if any of that sounds good to you, definitely go over to patreon.com slash planes, trains, and comic books, all one word, and sign up there. And with that out of the way, let's get into the issue. Today we are reading Hellblazer number 53, and just a little recap on what's been going on. In the last issue, we just started a new storyline called Royal Blood. And the reason it's called that is because someone in the royal family has been possessed by a demon and they are going around and killing people and eating pieces of them and cutting them up and it's just a very bloody mess. And because the possessed person is someone who's in the royal family, there's a guy named Marston who is the fixer for the royal family. Whenever they do something bad or whenever they want something covered up, he's the guy who does it. So him knowing about this member of the royal family who... They never really say, but it's actually supposed to be Prince Charles. And Marston's trying to figure out exactly how to clean this mess up when he remembers he knows a young man named Constantine who deals with this stuff every now and then. So in the last issue, Marston tracks down John, takes him to the Caligula Club, where all of the elites and royal people uh, have nights of debauchery and craziness where they murder people and have sex with everybody and it's just craziness. And this is where the possession took place. And at first, John is very reluctant to help him out because, frankly, it's not John's mess to clean up. But that all changes when he actually hears who is possessed and that it's Prince Charles of the royal family. Then he gets a big evil smile on his face like he can't wait to pull a demon out of this guy. And hopefully it hurts a lot. So first things first with issue 53, we got the cover here. We see a very perturbed John Constantine who looks like he's disgusted and focused very hard. He's in between a couple skeletons, and one of them seems to be holding hands with someone else. It's not John's arm, because it looks super wrinkly, and there's also, like, legions and some other sores. And there's a big thumb on this hand that has a pretty gnarly fingernail on it. And I gotta say, I love the covers for this uh, specific storyline. They're all by Glenn Fabry, and they're all fantastic. And also on the cover, we see this is written by Garth Ennis, with art by William Simpson. So, we start off on the first page, and we see John Constantine is putting on his coat... He is walking down a sidewalk, possibly out of the room with Marston that he was in, in the last issue. And he's looking pretty annoyed. The narration says, an heir to the throne is possessed. The good royal, the one who understands our needs, graces us with his decent, ordinary insight. Oh, God bless him. He does a great job, the two-faced shit. In there, in the rich man's club to end them all, the frigger showed his true colors. He'd make speeches and open charities all day from one end of the country to the other. And then he'd come here and lick caviar from an infant's skin, watch murders on the stage while sipping brandy, choose rich food from the menu and rich atrocities from the club schedule. It was in there, 
Late last night that the stupid bastard went too far. Christ alone knows what he's doing now. And then we cut to what the prince is doing now. And what he's doing is he's murdering someone and eating them. And so continuing with what was going on in the last issue, Prince Charles, I believe is naked. He's got like a blanket around him and he's covered in blood from the night before and from what's going on right now. His face is spattered and we see a man who was holding a newspaper that is now of course covered in blood was attacked by the prince and drug into an alley where the prince murdered and began to eat the man. And the man doesn't look like he has any lips. His face is all torn up and bloody and he's missing an eyeball. And as Prince Charles gnaws on his torso, the prince's eyes are kind of looking forward at the reader, which is super creepy. And we see that the name of this issue is Royal Blood Part 2 Revelations. So then we cut to a scene. I'm not sure if it's the next morning or if Marston just likes to eat breakfast at all times. But John and Marston are sitting at a table and Marston is eating. John is not. And it seems like they are discussing the murder that we just saw in the page before. John is saying... This last one isn't dead two hours, Marston, and you've already got a police report? Very cute. Both the latest bods were partially eaten. Must have quite an appetite. And apparently where they're eating is a very fancy hoi polloi place to eat. Because John asks, how did you get this? Chief Inspector, a club member? And Marston answers, I have friends. And John replies, I bet you do. I bet they've hushed the whole thing up nicely for you. Hope they pay well. And John gives a little smirk, indicating that, yeah, he wants to be paid for this job. And Marston looks at John and says, I had a feeling that serving your country wouldn't be motivation enough. In fact, I'm sure you're planning on going straight to the press as soon as you've stopped the killings, aren't you? And John smiles cynically and says, it's funny how serving your country always means serving the people in charge of it. And I'm sure you're planning to make sure I don't go anywhere, huh? And Marston wipes his mouth and looks at John sternly and says, So glad we understand each other. Then we cut to the Caligula Club later in the day, and John is talking to three people about the incident that happened the night before with the prince, specifically how the possession happened. And the narration says, I haven't planned anything. I'm too busy worrying about stopping the bastard to think about exposing the whole thing. Back at the Caligula Club, Marston's dug up three of the arsehole in question's mates. David Hesla is a Scots Guards lieutenant, a splendid young chap who pisses me off just by existing. And the real gems, Hugh and Holly, the Elliot twins, who look like they play the game for all the family, i.e. incest. So John is asking them, so you knew about his black magic bit, but you didn't join in. Who else knew? And Hugh answers, only David here, really. We're a little wary of Hocus Pocus. And Holly adds, mmm daft business look where it's got our chum and john says to this yeah well look you obviously aren't the closest of chums but i don't want this spreading you'll have to do and david asks for what and then john gets his coat and begins to walk out of the room and as he does he says a little party this evening don't go far boys and girls and then as john exits that room he runs into a butler and he asks the man where marston is and the butler says I don't actually serve Mr. Marston, sir. However, the gentleman in room 12 would like a word. Good day, sir. And with that, the butler leaves and John kind of looks confused. And then he figures, whatever, I'll just go to 12. And as he's walking there, his narration says, I don't have time to play games with these pricks. And he gets to room 12 and he just goes inside without knocking or anything. And inside is another man who is in shadows. 
And this is because he's supposed to be another member of the royal family. And the young man is actually doing cocaine in front of John. And John's narration says, Uh-huh, our boy's brother, about to stuff half a gram of coke up his conch. That's just great, that is. So as the man finishes snorting the cocaine, John says, I'm a busy man, let's hear it. And I did a little research trying to figure out which brother this is because obviously they're not saying names and the prince has two brothers, Andrew and Edward. But I believe this is supposed to be Prince Andrew just by comparing the drawing to the pictures I could find. So Prince Andrew answers John saying, Well, I wanted to talk to you, you see, about my errant sibling. And John replies, Yeah, sure. He's an overpaid parasite just like yourself. That's all I know. And then Prince Andrew smiles and says, no, it isn't. I nearly missed the whole shindig, actually. Had to visit Ulster on the New Year's Day. Meet the patties and so on. Hate the place. Ever been? And John answers, no. Get on with it. And Prince Andrew continues, really, it's awful. Terrorist pigs killed my uncle, you know. I don't see why we can't build a big wall around Belfast and throw food into the bastards. I found out about my brother's spree when I got home. The walls have ears. And then John cracks a joke saying, so does your brother, you know what I mean? And as he says this, he kind of looks over to a bookcase next to him that has an urn on top of it, and he thinks to himself, must be dear old uncle's ashes in here. And then Prince Andrew laughs and says, that was very funny. Anyway, I was thinking, but John cuts him off and says, that I could bollocks it up on purpose so he gets it in the neck, and you're one step closer to the top job. I bet that fat-arsed wife of yours put you up to this. And as he says this, he's looking at the urn and then he opens the top of it. And as he looks inside, Prince Andrew, who's very angry at John for what he just said about his wife, says, Hmm, do you know no one has ever, hmm, spoken to me like that before ever? I do hope you'll assist me with what you so astutely guessed, if only to make up for your rudeness. And John walks over to him and says, No bloody way. And the prince threateningly says, I'd strongly advise you to reconsider, you know. And instead of backing down, John actually gets more confrontational and gets right up to Prince Andrew and puts his finger in his face and says, and I'd strongly advise you to keep your eyes open because you've just snorted your uncle's ashes. And at first I was confused by this, but I think what happened was Prince Andrew thought he found a stash of cocaine and because the room is dark, he just snorted it without really looking at it and it ended up being the ashes of his uncle. So John, feeling pretty proud of himself for pointing that out and making the prince look stupid, is kind of singing, and then as he's walking out of the room, he says, My girlfriend's from Belfast, son. Watch your mouth in the future. So John leaves that room and then walks around the Caligula Club until he finally finds the room that Marston is in. So John just bursts through the door and announces himself by yelling, Oi! And Marston's kind of startled, and he says, How charming. What can I do for you? And John says, I want you and the three little rich bastards you found here tonight, say around 10. And we've got trouble too. Our boy's brother and I just had a chat. And Marston says, oh God, that idiot. I'll have him watched. What's this business about tonight? And John begins to casually walk around the room and he says, sort of a get together. I'm going to visit a friend of mine. Then we'll all sit down and see what we can find out. Meanwhile, you can start pulling a few strings, because there's something I want you to get too. Then we cut to the possessed Prince Charles, who's in an alley, he's kind of skulking in the shadows, and the narration says, hungry again. The man doesn't know it, but he's got so much raw flesh in his belly, he's full to bursting. 
No, it's the demon that's hungry that pushes him greedily onto his slaughter path. And then we see Prince Charles walk over to a body in the alley, and it's the body of a young man, and the young man's neck is snapped, and the narration continues. He took a young male from the flats over there, broke his neck with one swipe of an iron bar, and dragged him back to feed. But his mind isn't on his work. He knows this isn't right. He's in trouble, very deep trouble. And if only he could remember who he was. The demon coiled neatly around the cortex in his brain, slides a finger across the man's mind, and realizes what he's thinking. It decides to remind him who's boss. And we get a glimpse of what the demon looks like maybe inside of Prince Charles's head. And what it looks like is a skull that has fangs and also has a bunch of bony protrusions on the top of the skull. And then underneath the head, it looks like it has tentacles coming out of the neck. But that's all we see. We don't really see if there's a torso or anything underneath. And upon seeing this demon's face, Prince Charles begins to scream uncontrollably. And it just so happens a woman is walking by the alley and hears the screaming. And so she decides to check it out because she's a good person. And she looks in the alley and says, excuse me, are you? And then she's horrified as she sees a naked Prince Charles who's all bloody and looking crazy. And he's got like a blood drenched knife or something in his hand. Then we cut to John who's sitting on a couch inside of his girlfriend Kit's apartment. And the narration says, both Marson and that idiot had me followed from the club, but I lost both groups of gits on the tube. Amateurs. And as John's sitting there thinking, Kit comes in the front door and she sees John sitting on the couch and she says jokingly, bloody layabout, get a job. And John chuckles and says, back for lunch or something. And Kit replies, well, that's a hopeful sounding or something. Nah, just got to pick up my portfolio. Big shot Yank publishers are in town and I could do with a quick job just to pay the bills. And John looks up at her questioningly and says, thought you were okay for cash. And as Kit looks around, she finds her portfolio and she says, ah, here we are. Sorry, right. I am and I'm not, you know? What are you up to today? And then John holds up a piece of paper that has like a pentagram and some like demon sigils on it. And she says, oh Christ, I don't want to know. Don't bring it in here with you, okay? And then John puts the papers down and then Kit sits on the ground next to him and begins to look at her portfolio. And John says, I wouldn't ever let any of this shit hurt you, you know? As soon as I even got a hint you could be tangled up, I drop it like a stone. And Kit replies, glad to hear it. And then she looks up at John and smiles and says, I was thinking about yesterday. I reckon it's all right for you to live here if you want. And then John looks at her and says, boy, you made your mind up fast. And she looks at him quizzically and says, having second thoughts? Worried you'll become domesticated and lose the cool bastard image? And then she picks up a picture from her portfolio and she doesn't show it to him initially, but she says, you're too late anyway, sweetie. Remember a while ago I said you were cute when you were asleep? I did this after you dropped off the night before last. And then she hands him the page and he looks at it and it's a picture of him sleeping peacefully and he looks all calm and it's done in graphite or pencil. And he exclaims, bloody hell. And Kit smirks and says, goodbye, Mr. Cool. Then we cut to the apartment of a man named Nigel and he's getting a knock on his door. So he answers it and right as he answers it, he sees John Constantine and he immediately shuts the door in John's face. And then he takes off in his own apartment. <laughs> and as he's running, he trips. And even though he locked John out, somehow he trips in front of John Constantine inside of his house. And John says to him, afternoon, Nigel, enjoy your trip. Then we cut to Nigel making tea for John in the kitchen. So Nigel seems to be putting up with John and John is talking to him saying, 
Suppose I'm lucky catching you, Nige. You being such a busy, angry young man. Shouldn't you be out smashing the state? Oh, and I should say, Nigel is a 20-something young white guy. He's got a shaved head, but also has a ponytail, so that's an interesting look. And apparently he's some kind of anarchist or something. And he answers John, Oh, don't be so bloody bourgeois and cynical. It's easy for you to mock my efforts in radical journalism when all you do is skulk around and frighten people. I thought you'd be done for good after the student union haunting. And over this panel, we have some narration because it seems like John's not even paying attention to this kid. And it says, I love Nigel Archer. Not only because he's a psychic, he's one of the only few people I know who still talks like this. And then John turns to Nigel and he looks at him with like a really kind of evil-ish looking grin on his face. And he says, radical? You've never even been published. Come off it, will you? I'm planning a good old-fashioned seance, and I need you to do the necessary. And Nigel looks at him kind of scared and says, No way! I heard all about your last bloody seance, Constantine. Oh yes, that freaking fiasco at Winter's Place. What was it? Two dead and one bonkers? Piss off out of here right now! And if you didn't know, this is actually a reference to, I believe, the seance that's in Alan Moore's run of Swamp Thing where Zatanna's dad actually was killed, along with another person. And I don't remember anybody going insane, but there was definitely someone left with potential brain damage. So maybe that's what they mean. So as Nigel is yelling at John, John is just sipping his tea, thinking, looking like he's waiting for Nigel to finish. And as Nigel wraps up yelling at John, John says, I don't know, Nigel. I think you'll like this one. And I'm assuming what he means is that since Nigel is very uh, different politics than these rich royal people, He's not going to have a problem if any of them die during the seance. So then we turn the page and we cut to the Caligula Club. And now Nigel and the rich people from before, David Hazlett and Hugh and Holly Elliott, are waiting with John. And there's narration from John picking up from the last page where he apparently tells Nigel, you know, what's going to happen. So the narration says, he likes it all right. Of course, I have to tell him we're only doing it to stop the killing. And we're going straight to the papers when it's over. That's what old Nige wants to hear. And that's the problem with this whole friggin' business. Everyone else seems to think of it as politics. Talking about cover-ups and damage to the public confidence. And all the time there's a demon loose out there. We're dealing with hell. So finally Marston shows up to the room and he says, It's, uh, it's all been prepared in the room. So they all walk to this room that Marston was talking about. And as they do, one of the rich people, I believe it's David, says, Look, Constantine, I think it's about time we had an explanation for all this carry-on, don't you? And John kind of brushes that off saying, all in good time. But then Marston walks up next to him and kind of whispers to him, I'd like to know what's going on too, you know. The favors I've had to use to arrange this, this gathering of yours. And then John cuts him off and says, it'll be worth it. And as he says this, they walk into a room and there's a round table. And on one side of the table, there's three dead corpses. And these corpses are actually the victims of the possessed Prince Charles. So as everybody walks in the room, they're kind of taken aback by seeing three corpses. And Hugh and Holly say, oh God, oh God, look at them. What is this? But John looks at him with disdain and says, don't give me that shit, mate. I'm sure you've seen worse at the club. And then he pulls out a cigarette, lights it, and begins to smoke. And he says, right, these are the first three kills, kindly pulled out of the morgue by Mr. Marston. We're going to use them to talk to the demon. You're his mates. You'll be help to Nigel, who's got to make the bastard feel at home. Should be fun. And the rich guy David says, I simply bloody refuse. But Marston cuts him off saying, you simply bloody do not. 
So at Marston's insistence, all the rich people sit down at the table and everybody begins to hold hands, including the ones of the corpses. So once they're all settled in and they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, John says, all holding hands, don't let go or you'll get a big surprise. Take it away, Nigel. And the seance officially begins. So Nigel is the conduit for whatever's going to be happening here. So as he's focusing, he starts saying, I, I can feel them. They, they still know their bodies. Their souls are coming. And then all of a sudden, Nigel's eyes kind of snap open as something seems to be going wrong. And he says, they, I think they can sense Heslet and the twins. They can smell royalty off them. They're very near. And then all of a sudden, the corpses begin to reanimate and they begin to scream. Let us go. Let us go. Safe and warm. Didn't want to come back. Cold flesh here. Let us go. And Nigel actually seems to be struggling, but John turns to him and says, Keep him in there, Nige. Hook the demon and keep those bloody souls in there. Come on! But Nigel turns to him and says, They're screwing my mind up. Keep them talking, please. And at first, John doesn't understand, and he's like, Talk? But then Nigel throws his head back like he's having a seizure or something, and he yells out, Please! So John kind of stands up and leans forward because he's on the opposite side of the table from the corpses, and he yells at them, You! What happened to you? Tell me! And two of them begin to speak, saying, Killed and dead. Cut me. Hurt me. Please let us go. And it seems like the corpses are maybe like flopping around and they're not fully uh, like sitting up straight or anything. So one of them flops to the side and his head ends up leaning on Holly's shoulder. And she says, stop it. Stop it. I want out. But then Nigel cuts her off saying, shit, the demon's twigged on. It's coming. And then we get to the demon who's in the alley, still eating the person from before whose neck was snapped. And the narration says, the demon smells the souls return to flesh it had thought untenable. Feels a guiding mind pulling them back from the hereafter. Intrigued, it leaves the man in a deep coma and lopes off to see for itself. Then we come back to the room where David is yelling, I want to go home! And Marston is yelling back, You coward, Heslet! You dirty, disgraceful coward! And Nigel is talking to John, and he seems a bit more composed. He's saying, God, it's huge! The power of it! And John is telling him, Lead it to us, Nige. Make the damn thing talk. And then Nigel closes his eyes and feels and he says, It's angry. It's coming in like a friggin' rocket. And then the demon appears and it's hovering over the corpse's heads. And the demon looks like I said before, where it's a demon skull with some tentacles underneath the head. And as it arrives, it says, I'll met. And everybody at the table, of course, is looking at this demon hovering over the corpses. And Marston is shook and he says, Constantine. What have you brought down on us? And David is saying, please stop, let go of me. But John turns to them angrily and says, you let go and I swear to God, I'll kick your bollocks out through your skull. Now shut up. And then John turns to the demon and says, you, you're out of your jurisdiction. You're punishing the innocent, but you're supposed to be down in hell with the damned. And the demon looks at John and says, I was called. And then John replies, oh sure. And you have to get your fun. But you owe them, chum. You killed them and you owe them something in return. Their flesh for your name, you bastard. Tell me your name. And the demon kind of sneers and says, A man who knows the rules very well. And then all of a sudden, the souls from the victims burst out of the bodies as if they're trying to escape. And John turns to Nigel and says, Frickin' souls are trying to get back out. Nige. And then Nigel turns to John and says, It's gone. But whatever it's told them, it's driving them apeshit. 
And then John tells him, make him say the name out loud. And also I should mention that when the souls burst out of the bodies, all the gross fluids and anything left within the bodies was also thrown onto all the people. So everybody's covered in <laughs> dead people goop. So Nigel begins to channel the dead people, and then he opens his eyes very wide and he turns to John and he says, it's not just the name, it's told him something else, something awful. Come on, just tell us once and you'll be free. Tell us. And then the spirits who are still angered to their goopy bodies yell out, Calabraxis, Lord of Blades, Butcher of Devil's Court. And then John turns to Nigel and says, Come on, what's the other bit? Push him, Nige. And then Nigel goes tense with concentration and he says, Jesus freaking God Almighty. And then the souls begin to talk again and they say, Been here before, killed here, stalked through alleys with a knife and used it long ago. A century back, a long autumn of fear and splashing Whitechapel, a bloody crimson, making hell on earth. And then there's a loud screeching noise and the bodies explode and the spirits disappear. And then John stands up very nonchalantly and lights a cigarette and says, thanks for your help, kitties. And then he turns to Holly, the rich girl, and says, when you've got a minute, love, cup of tea, huh? Milk and two sugars, ta. Then we cut to Marston's office a couple minutes later and he's getting himself cleaned up from all the goop that was on him. And he's talking to John and he says, so now what? And John jokingly says, I fancy a bath myself. I'm bloody pigging. And Marston is not having any of his jokes. He says, please, Constantine, don't make jokes. What are we going to do now? And John looks at him seriously and says, well, we've got its name. And names are very important in this business. All we have to do is look up the right ritual and trap the bugger. But it's a sneaky one. It's been here before, just like it told its kills. An autumn of fear in Whitechapel, a knife alleys bloody crimson what does that remind you of it's the same son of a bitch that possessed jack the ripper and with that cliffhanger that is the end of the issue so if you guys have any comments questions or suggestions you can email me at planes trains and comic books all one word at gmail.com and we will see you on the next one